Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Alison Lloyd, designer and creative director at Ali Capolino. Ali started Ali Capolino in 1979, at the time when British fashion was probably at its most edgy and groundbreaking. She was also one of the first of British designers to break Japan. Famous for her understated style, she moved from clothing to bags almost 21 years ago, continuing to design practical, long-lasting pieces that are as discreet as they are functional and durable. Ali is and has always been a visionary and still one of the few successful women in fashion leading her own business. Ali, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> nice to be here. So, it's great to have you. We are talking a bit about luxury, but mostly about you and your work as a designer. So I was wondering, tell us first just a little bit about yourself and how you describe what you do for work. Okay, so at the moment, I shuttle between home and a studio in Clerkenwell on my bike, trying to avoid contact with people. Um, so it's quite difficult. We produce a range of bags for Ali Capolino, part canvas, part leather. and um, But I'm also creative director of a group called Authentic Bespoke, which comprises uh, five, four or five companies. There's one in the United States in Washington, which is a shop. There's Bud Shirts, the Tusting Leather Goods and Bags, Ali Capolino, or anything else. I think that's it for now. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's uh, it's a, a slightly different setup to when you were just doing Ali Capolino then. So, I mean, that's is that. Do you find that a, a a challenge to have to oversee so many different things, or is it just part of the exciting i'm a ma i'm a massively disorganized person but luckily there's a few people around who have have got those skills um so it's uh, I, I mean i'm trying to be a bit better at delegating actually but um it's sort of overseeing the look of, of those brands but um not um in fact the one in the united states i haven't had anything to do with at all yet the tusting i have had quite success with some of the changes that i've made there and um, Bud were just starting to do a few things there, but mostly I focus on Ali Capolino because that's almost almost what I am. <laughs> so, I mean, talking about Ali Capolino, I mean, you started in 1979 designing clothes, and it's quite, uh, I mean, it's, it's an exciting story. My boyfriend and I left college in 78, I think, and we both got offered jobs with uh, Courtauld Central Design, which was a big supplier to Marks and Spencers at the time. Um, and I could not stand the corporate setup at all. I, I really found it depressing, I suppose. Um, and I, I sort of retired into the sewing room where the machinists were a bit more lively and friendly and became very good at sewing. And um, then I was offered a pattern cutting job, but I'd started to make jewelry out of knitting needles, plastic, perspex because it was a kind of a time when jewelry was going through a plastic revolution if you like so there was lots of people making things out of electronic electrical wires and you know a lot of sort of bright primaries going on and so i started to do this fairly successfully and i had some friends that sitting in the in the in the bedroom next door sort of filing bits of knitting needles or drilling little holes and putting jump pins on 
And so we sort of worked out how to do these things and they, they sold really quite well, uh, not enough to really make a living on. So meanwhile, we were doing some, uh, my partner was doing some pattern cutting. We were sewing, make, just making samples for people. And, uh, but then we had the opportunity to, to do a trade show, which was called the Individual Clothes Show. And it happened to have a little fashion show and it was in the Waldorf Hotel. And I think there were about maybe 10 sort of new designers. And uh, because they had a fashion show, we thought, can't just show some bracelets and earrings on a fashion show. So we made up some bags and uh, we made a T-shirt, a sort of little a woven T-shirt in sort of Swiss lawn, a swim swimsuit with perspex straps, a pair of shorts and a pair of pleat top trousers. So I think it was five pieces. And we printed all over it with this sort of print that we designed for the Moscow Olympics, which were supposed to happen in 1980, which they sort of did. But there were a lot of um, a lot of countries didn't want to go because there were political boycott is the word, uh, because there was a lot of uh, politics going on at the time, which I can't even actually quite remember what it was, but probably Russians being unkind to people somewhere. And so then we. We changed the look of, we had, we, we moved on to some sweatshirts, which we wrote cancelled across diagonally in red writing. And, uh, and we, both groups of things, we got quite a lot of press on and we sold it to Whistles to Lucille Lewin, who's just started up Whistles at that time. And, uh, she gave us a 300 pound order, which we thought, oh yeah, lovely. Went on holiday and didn't think about how we were going to produce it or, you know, the next step at all somehow we got there it's a it's an amazing story you know to think that you know you could do something like that you know just kind of think ah oh, there's an opportunity let's make something and thinking wasn't in there oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it wasn't exactly a plan in the first place but um but maybe it was a bit of a dream i can't i can't quite can't quite remember actually i think it was just a wanting to do do our own thing a bit and then how did you, I mean, you still do make clothes. I mean, maybe not a whole clothing collection, but you do make clothes and it's part of Yeah, your... we do still some knitwear. We've done some hats that are very nice. And um, I can't talk about it, but we've got upcoming some outerwear coming along. And and so how did you move then from fashion into accessories? I mean, what was, you know, how did that kind of come about? Well, that that, that came about because the the previous business actually collapsed as we as we tore it apart as our relationship sort of untangled or yeah became a non-runner and 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 we disagreed about what we did in the business i think yeah that was a fundamental thing i wanted to become a bit more modern and he wanted to stay on the more traditional stuff that we we started on a you know although we had this moscow olympics most of what we did was quite sort of english style tailoring we did really, really well in Italy with, you know, lots of tweed, masses of sheepskin. We sold the sheepskin jackets and coats. And it was a very British style that we sold through the 80s. And particularly Italy was very key. And then as it came into the 90s, I think I became, I don't know, I remember everything going white in 1990. Everybody sort of modern suddenly became desirable. And I was, I was quite keen for that. So... I think that was when we started to really disagree about the way forward. So then, again, starting bags. I didn't mean to start a bag collection because I'd, I'd ended up, when we went bust, with I still had some consulting 
work. Um, I got a really nice job designing the brownie uniforms, which was pretty well paid. And then I then got another consultancy with British Home Stores, which paid me 90 grand. And then Philip Green took over and said, we don't need designers. So I was paid off. So I was just hanging out the window thinking, what? I don't know what to do. I, I bought myself a new flat and hadn't really got anything to do. I started smoking for a bit. <laughs> And, um, and then I thought, oh, I'm going to see what I can do with this leather. So I made a bag on the kitchen table and then I made a couple more, but I didn't really have the right sewing machine, but I sort of, I sort of bullied it into existence and, and that's how bags started. I mean, that's quite inspirational. You know, you think, you know, as well, you know, I work in a university and you think, you know, students are always struggling to kind of um, realize their own kind of ambitions and that's a perfect example of how they could do that you know just thinking about oh what am I going to do I've got something I've got some material or some leather um let's make a bag and look at what's what's happened yeah. well I mean I'm completely self-taught on that I don't you know I know a lot now about how to make a bag and what what sort of sewing machine you need and things like that but I you know I just and but making a bag pattern is not really rocket science you know but the sort of the finishing details are things that you don't know at the beginning. You know, the basic shape is not, not difficult, but yeah, to, to sort of, to make them look believable. And um, and I think because I used sort of clothing methods, actually, that had a sort of an, an advantage because they they still are the most successful things we do, still have a sort of relaxed way of like, almost shapeless, I suppose, some of them. Um, but the seams are, Normally in, in leather, the seams are top stitched together, which gives them a more rigid shape. Whereas I seamed them sort of right sides together. So you got that sort of pillowy kind of look more. I wanted to just talk about change because, I mean, you've obviously been through a lot of change yourself, you know, clothing to accessories to working with other companies in consultancy. But this past year, we've, of course, seen huge change. What impact has that had on you and your business in the way you know, you might design or, you you know, you might operate. Mm. In the way of designing, it's I suppose it's a bit less collaborative, but otherwise it's not so different. It's, it's less easy to do research, so we're more restricted on finding new materials, to be honest. I think that's that's the number one. And, and also travelling to factories has been a bit of a loss, which we've sort of got round in the main. I think it's made people think about what they want in their lives a bit more um but um it's digital <laughs> i was waffling there for a minute okay digital is all that is the big difference obviously because that's where we're putting all our efforts into assets web assets basically so visual storytelling you know getting the message over in other ways uh, your instagram posts are quite amazing in their storytelling how do you come about you know, where where do the ideas come from? Because they they're they're fantastic. Uh, I think I don't. I like the idea of communities, and so I've I've done quite a, a few bits of research into sort of. Well, the the bird watching one came about because I sort of thought bird watching. You know how perfect the seven people all with their backs to you looking up at a bird on the tree, sort of thing. And I just thought it makes a very funny image. So I, I don't know. I mean, I've looked up ladies engineering groups and. You know, and they're out, they're there. So 
I, I think the sort of whole thing with communities is, is a really nice thing for us because we have a lot of different, you know, have a really wide age range of customers and a really wide, um, you know, as men, women and anything in between, I suppose, as well. I don't, we, you know, unisex, I suppose, is the word, but that seems quite 70s as a word, but it hasn't really been superseded yet, has it? Yeah, I think that's my um, angle. Right. So this whole digital, you know, digital is not only, you know, about the shopping experience. It's also about your communication. Yeah. So how have you kind of woven all that together to kind of make this whole? We, I mean, we talk about more than fashion, I suppose, to a degree. I don't know. You know, some of the influence for the current season, we sort of talked about camping. So to a degree, there's the whole story about the life outdoors, which nobody's really having enough of at the moment. But, I mean, you could just go and camp in your tent in the garden. But then I sort of thought, you know, the colours are quite sort of this green colour that we've got quite traditional. So I sort of thought a bit about Baden-Powell, bring him in. Hopefully some of the some of the youth might think, who the hell is Baden-Powell? I don't know. I just, I just let my mind sort of wander. And then and if I feel it's amusing, I, I prefer it. <laughs> yeah. And... I mean, you talk, you, you just mentioned colour. I mean, colour is obviously a big thing uh, for Ali Capolino. Mm, yeah, I think increasingly so. In fact, when you mentioned that we were discreet at the beginning, I thought maybe we're getting a bit less discreet, actually, um, because the bags, particularly the leather things, are quite discreet, but the colour is becoming bolder, and I'm having a great time with it, actually. I really like sort of playing with colours. And... You mentioned materials. Um, what about um, kind of issues around sustainability and the environment? I mean, you're very outdoorsy at the moment in mm. kind of the way you storytell. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I do seem to bring nature and whatnot into things quite a lot. I wouldn't say I'm that much of an outdoor person in some ways, but as far as sustainability goes, I think, I, I mean, our number one sustainable point is that the bags are, they don't, they don't go out of style. They're very long-lasting, and the materials are generally biodegradable. You know, there's cottons, um, leathers, um, and then we've got uh, some recycled nylons, recycled, sorry, polyesters, and hemp as well we're doing this season, which is the most sustainable material. So tell us a little bit about then, you know, we understand colour, um, which is a big part of the business, your materials. How do you, what inspires you? Everything and anything. Um, sometimes things inspire me that can't be, can't be made, I suppose. <laughs> you know, like the sky, how do you quite capture that? It's not going not to happen, is it? It could be what somebody's wearing. It could be something old. It could be something new. It could be an angle, a shape, a colour, a texture, a joke. It could be abstract. It could be concrete. Uh, quite often it's it's a sort of surface, but or it's just how somebody wears something is also. But yeah, I, I mean, there's there's no point in restricting yourself on that sort of thing. No, I, I, I guess that's part of the creative process, isn't it? You know, is yeah, yeah. I I wonder if most people possibly say that. I don't know. No one said that yet um, from the okay. <laughs> those that are interviewed. So yeah, I mean, I mean, what's interesting about. Um, the way we're doing the podcast is we're asking the same questions of everybody. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear the, you know, very different answers to most. Totally different answers. Yeah, to most of the questions. That's great. 
So this is a slightly more kind of political um, question, I guess. Um, We've seen issues around kind of political unrest around the world Mm -hmm. um, over the past uh, year or so. And I was just wondering, you know, just in terms of kind of fashion and making statements and things like that, do you think it's impacted on the way you run the business or the way you approach your design uh, the design process or even the marketing? I mean, I'd like to think that we were already there on the things that have been talked about with issues of colour. I, th- I mean, I think fashion is a relatively inclusive business, actually. It still has areas where it's all men or areas where it's all women. I suppose, you know, if, if you're doing a shoot, there are not that many coloured photographers. More models are getting work probably now across you know in fact there seems to be quite a wide spectrum which is being looked for which is fantastic you know it's it's not just brown or black or white or or ginger you know it's 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 more weird looking is good sometimes or you know and I i think that's really good actually i don't know whether it's being used in the mainstream enough but i presume once things once the ball is rolling a bit more in um then it gradually comes through. But it is a time of change on that front. Because I was just thinking back to 1979, and there was a political statement there with the Moscow Olympics. Yes, to know, I don't know how political we were being. (laughs) I don't think we had an opinion on that. I mean, that's probably not true, I'm sure. I, I suppose we were on the side of the underdog. Yeah. No, and I suppose it's interesting. I quite like the idea of a bit of politics, though. I mean, I... You know, no, that's what I was thinking. Is that you know? I haven't done an anti. I mean, I, but I leave it to Catherine Hamlet to to be. <laughs> I presume she's anti-Brexit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't think I don't think we're a slogan company, but um, but I think we have an opinion. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so sustainability is political, and that def- you know, I totally hundred percent support that. So I want to touch a little bit on on kind of luxury and i know we have spoken about this in the past i was just wondering what your take on luxury is in kind of today's you know in environment we locked up you know you can't do the things that um you know one would normally do so i was just wondering what your take would be on luxury in this climate in this time luxury might be having a, a little bonfire in the back garden <laughs> sitting around with a glass of wine or something yeah, I, th- I think luxury right now is, is totally different, isn't it? It's spending a lot of time making a really nice dinner or something. A day in bed. <laughs> that would definitely be it. Well, yeah, that would be. I did take I did take two days off this week, so that so I can tell you that I I, t- I tidied out the, the my shoe cupboard. <laughs> kind of luxury. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, I think that's. You know, you know, luxury is you know anything. I think now that that gives you some pleasure. Yeah, in a way, isn't it? Uh, I don't. I'm. Yeah, I'm sure it's not the dictionary. I don't know what the dictionary definition is. Anything over and above what one would need to exist. Ah, okay. Oh well, the bar, the the bar is quite low then. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's interesting that you know in um, China they've seen more sales of luxury brand watches over the past year than you know ever before yeah well i think 
people are spending a lot of money on a new um like um laptop pro or you know ipad pro apparently they've got huge sales yeah probably sort of fancy viewing equipment sort of in-house in-home cinema type thing probably is is luxury i've got a very crappy little projector but it it um seems yeah we've been using that actually so i've been i've been watching more telly right as a non-telly watcher so i think i mean you know from what you're saying it's kind of you know tech you know people are investing in tech because they're at home much more yeah probably but i mean the other thing is furniture people have been doing over their houses haven't they and mm. i don't know I mean, do you think of um, Ali Capolino as being a luxury brand? To a degree. It's understated, so quite often people would say that's not luxury. But it's it's luxury in that the materials that go into it are, you know, really good standard. And the thought that goes into it is, I think, a really important part of it. You know, they're really thought through. So for me, that I suppose that's what the luxury is in Ali Capolino rather than you know titanium fittings or anything like that yeah because I, I guess this goes back to kind of the, you know the storytelling mm. um like you say you know there's a thought process because often people um, equate luxury to cost yeah well our stuff isn't cheap but it's also you know it's it depends where on the scale you start i mean i i kind of would never associate us with fast fashion so i don't want to look at those prices and i think in some, in many ways, we're quite well priced for for what we do, um, and often the price, you know, price is you know irre- irre- irrelevant because something's expensive. It doesn't you know make it a, a luxury. It's much more about the person's, the individual's affinity to whatever it is. Whether yeah, they're... I mean, the, uh, my luxury is doing things the way I like them, I suppose, and possibly there are elements of the things that we do that might make them more commercial, but which I dig my heels in about. <laughs> so yeah maybe I'm, that, that sort of thing is is perhaps my luxury yeah and i think that's you know i, th- I think that shows a, a change in attitude you know not only from you but i think people generally mm. when it comes to kind of thinking about what luxury might be because we've been forced into this into the position we're in you know whether it's a lockdown or <clears throat> yeah, uncertain yeah. futures, you know, huge unemployment, yeah. businesses, clothing, you know, things yeah, yeah, totally have. have shifted, I guess. Also, where people are shopping and things is is totally shifted, you know, sort of, and people moving out of town and whatnot, is, is that sort of thing is changing. I was speaking to somebody in New York and they were saying, you know, the whole, which it's happening here as well, you know, the, the shopping experience has changed so dramatically, you know, you, you know, stores, whether it's a big department store, I don't know, Bergdorf Goodman, yeah, you know, yeah. you now phone and you have personal appointments. So the whole, that shopping experience has changed. Yeah. I mean, that's, we've spent a bit of time recently on, we haven't, we haven't managed personal appointments yet, but we're sort of looking at how we describe that, you know, having the words to describe things more clearly, doing more um, images to show exactly how big or how you might wear things or what you might wear things with. Yeah, ex- ex- explanations for and descriptions are definitely vital to to make things sell, mm. and also how things are presented, I suppose. Yeah, and I think you know when you are used to going into a department store, you know, just walking in or walking out. I mean, it's not that 
simple anymore because of all the kind of rules and regulations and it doesn't look like they're going to be eased anytime soon so one you know i suppose one could re-envision the whole shopping experience to be much more luxurious because there's so few people in the store yeah i mean they presume they will open again <laughs> no, i'm sure they will but they're not gonna it's not going to be in three months time for example no no and they, and it's still and it might be still be quite restricted i suppose yeah so then I suppose uh, w what you get as a customer is a much more personal experience because you know you're one of few people in in a shop at any given time. Mm. I've, I wonder if if the high street might become more interesting though because so many of the sort of repeatable uh, what's the word? things that are more ordinary I presume will be more bought online. So. That, there may be an opportunity for for the more unusual to set up shop in some much cheaper rents things that are not just to be had you know where you know what size you want or you know because you've had it before or you know things like t-shirts and things i would presume will only be bought on online the only reason to have things in shops would be to introduce new thing new ideas and maybe there's an opportunity for smaller companies again but it's an unknown at the moment. It might not work. <laughs> no, and that's, I, I suppose, it's being um, enthusiastic about the, the possibilities and potential for the future in that, you know, like you say, that this may be an opportunity um, for new businesses to come out and show things in a very different way, have a different product offer. Yeah. Yeah. I think because of the, also because of the economy having been bleak on it, so many things have been discounted and so it makes you want to have a product which is not in all these same places because they are all going to undercut you so it's you know it's that sort of i mean that is luxury isn't it small quantities mm. i guess yeah exclusive is 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 what i mean limited edition exclusive yeah not and seen everywhere yeah it's interesting to anybody sees anything anyway because you don't see anybody <laughs> No, well, I suppose that's the other thing, isn't it? Is that, yeah, it, we're so reliant now on kind of seeing things on screens or social media rather than seeing them in person. I was just, you know, you thought... How am I going to get my new shoes into this <laughs> into this podcast? <laughs> I have to sit in it in my yogi position. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a, an interesting point, isn't it? Because, you know, one could be buying things, but, you know... You wear them around the house. There's only you to appreciate it. Yeah. But then I suppose is that also, you know, is that a luxury because you're just wearing it for yourself or your family or whoever's at home, your dog or cat or. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about how many dogs are around now? <laughs> how did they manage to breed so many new dogs? That's how I, what I want to know. I don't know, but I, I wonder <laughs> if Battersea have any animals left. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's incredible. It's, it is amazing. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, this is probably the, t the time to ask about kind of what you think about issues around mental health and well-being, because we're all, you know, locked in um, or, you know, rather at home. And I wondered if that has changed the way we shop uh, because of, you know, circumstance or? I think it, it depends on each individual circumstance, doesn't it? I, I think... I don't think it's affecting my mental health at the moment. Mm. But obviously, if you're stuck at home in a quite small place with, you know, I've got a big garden, that's extremely good for mental health. Outdoorsness must be 
I think, number one thing. But I'm sure if, if you're stuck indoors with kids, a single parent, I mean, you know, I wouldn't like to be those kids. <laughs> or the parent. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, it must be really hard. Really difficult. No, and that's, you know, I, you know, you think about those things where people are facing real difficulties and one wonders whether or not those people are buying more um, just to try and, you know, kind of alleviate some of the stress, you know, not only for themselves, but maybe for their kids or partners. Um, and I wonder if people's, you know, if the kind of consumption habits have changed, you know, are people shopping completely differently. I wonder if you've noticed that. I don't think they're shopping that differently with us, actually. The, the beginning of the season, people buy, tend to buy bright colours, I think because there's a type of person that gets a bit more emotionally sort of excited about the new season. And so we tend to sell the bright stuff mostly at the beginning of the season, I've noticed. And that's the same this time as, as any other time, really. I think probably people are quite cautious. Bags, we're selling backpacks extremely well, but then we always, always have. And I think a lot of people are cycling, which is why we sell backpacks well. Mm -hmm. And I think different industries are doing... It's the functional stuff that's really is liked from us. Yeah, so I wonder then if, you know, you were talking earlier about kind of the quality, you know, quality product, um, the, you know, with w mm. the quality product you make. And I wonder if people are buying differently in that they are buying less, being much more conscious of their um, wasteful um consumption probably our customer is but um actually i've been asked this question quite recently in an interview and um i think it's very polarized because i think there's also the boohoo phenomenon where people are just buying and buying, you know fast fashion is not going away and i think throwaway fashion is just as strong as ever to be honest so i think you know there's there's those who do feel guilty i suppose if they Buy, buy more and I don't want to you know I don't want to encourage people to buy things they don't want or need on the other hand I know people get quite a lot of pleasure from a, a new all sorts of things you know whether it's a new mixing bowl or a, a new bag and they probably don't need it 100% but you know we are in a, a consumer world and it's part of the pleasure is consumption I think we just have to temper it but do you think encouraging consumption then creates a wasteful mentality in people? Mm, a bit, yeah. Yeah, so how do we change that behaviour? <laughs> um, or do we? I don't know. I don't know if you can have a tax on throwing seven pairs of sweatpants away because you want the new pair. Or... Or what you know? What happens to all those things? I mean, there's so many you know um, people telling you that the average life of some of these garments is one, one wearing. You know, that's awful, isn't it? Yeah, that's not really bad. Not great. I'm I'm definitely the opposite. <laughs> you know, I I've got stuff from Ali Capolino, old collections that I'm wearing all the time. Yeah, and you can still you know I, I've. I saw, uh, well, this is a while ago, um, you and I had a conversation about, um, I think it was a, was it a white shirt that you had, an Ali Capolino shirt, and that they, you know, that stuff is still being sold on eBay. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's things that must be 30 years old still going on eBay sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's, 
you know that's quite amazing if you think yeah you know that's no, true yeah all those years ago um so, yeah and i get a lot of i mean when the shop was open we we still have a lot of people coming in saying i've still got my blah blah from that i bought in 1986 or something and i'm still wearing it and i mean that's pretty good isn't it yeah i mean amazing you know who'd you know who'd have thought that all these years later you know people would still be wearing um stuff but i suppose it's kind of testament to not only the people who have it but also you know the the items that they've got isn't it yeah it's true the people who have it are, have got the imagination to to make it work again i mm. suppose yeah but that's why i just keep everything because i just you know i just recycle things in different combinations and I, I love dressing up <laughs> yeah so have you been dressing up at home since um since lockdown yeah i'm always dressing up because <laughs> I know from your Instagram, you've been doing amazing um, Instagram shots of um, still lives around the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The plants taking over and things. I wanted to also talk about your luxury. What is your luxury? My luxury? Food. Nice food, I guess. Um, I, I'm quite thrifty. So I suppose my luxury is finding a bargain that's that's a bit, you know, I don't know. I bought um, a silk dress just before Christmas that was sort of 80s, I suppose. And so, that, yeah, finding something that I think is is really, I don't know, different and yet wearable. I think that is my, yeah, vintage clothes that, that work are great. And so that's, I don't, I don't know what the age for, for vintage is. I don't think it has one anymore, does it? Just means secondhand. Yeah, and then um, I mean, do you? I mean, because I know that you like old sweaters. Yeah, <laughs> and I was just wondering, do you um, kind of do you do embroidery or, or darning or things like? Do you do all that kind of stuff on your? Oh, I do do. Yeah, I've got one cardigan which is an old um, what's she called? Um, Fell Marion Fell cardigan, who's Tuffin and Fell from the sixties, you know. Um, uh, which has got a lot of dance on it, yeah, because it was an expensive cardigan, which I got from wholesale from her, but even then I thought it was, you know, for me, who's a stingy old cow. Um, um, so, yeah, then the moss got into it, so it's got about five dance on that. And it looks really pretty because it's a very sort of soft pink colour cardigan. And I've done all sort of pinks and greys. But they're proper darning, yeah, like your mum used to do on your socks. Yeah, I'd don't think my mum darned anything. <laughs> we used to have a darning, a darning basket at home. So I wonder, if, you know, could that be a, you know, is that a, um, a new kind of luxury? You know, this uh, kind of mend, amend and make do. Oh, it really is. Yeah, well, there's some quite expensive stuff out there, which is people's patching and, I mean, and, and it's a bit of an art form as well, some lovely stuff out there. I don't, I don't know about sewing things I've sort of just cut tops off things and bottoms off things and then just worn them like what the remainder <laughs> yeah because I think things have a life don't they and it's extended yeah yeah just wondering if I've got any extensions today <laughs> no it's International Women's Day coming up um, um, on the 8th of March and I just wondered if you had a view on that 
I have a view in that it's sort of ironic still that there has to be a women's day as a, as opposed to you know when there isn't a men's day it sort of shows that this that the status quo is not equal still i always remember it in italy that they made a much bigger thing of it and it was it was there was lots of mimosa always given to people um which doesn't seem to happen here but i think that's a really nice tradition that would be lovely to, to make happen again because how nice does that smell <laughs> but uh i don't know you know sisters unite i'm 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 with the sisters yeah okay that's great because this um this episode is going to go out um to coincide with international women's day um as is this right. um series one of the podcast oh, which is all visionary women i'm i'm very flattered <laughs> thank you Ali, if you were setting up a business or advising um, a student or graduate to set up a business, what would your advice be? I suppose all the things that I didn't know were what an invoice was, um, what a cash flow was, what a business plan was. And it would make sense to be able to, to have all that. But on the other hand, I think it's really easy to, you know, just get yourself on Etsy or Depop or any of those things and get get moving um it's, it's no more difficult now than it ever was to start a business i think the thing is probably keeping it going is is more of a an issue but in fact there's lots of platforms that anybody could sell on right now and you know have a go and is that different to, you know that's that's different to what it was isn't it well i think wholesale is becoming difficult a lot of people and so i think direct to customer means that you can get the story across more you can have a communication with them you can find out what they like i i, I think in a lot of ways that's really good because wholesale was had the you know had the grips on things really for quite a long time and i think wholesale is having a bit of it's the thing that's going to change possibly the most how i'm not sure so that gives the opportunity or that to those people who are designing, making, doing whatever they're doing to... I think there's always opportunity when you don't have overheads, which is what you'd, where it starts at the beginning. And it's it's when you get to sort of middling-sized, so you've got a setup, but then maybe you have a setback. And then how do you get over that hurdle? Because you're not really big enough to attract investment, maybe, or just even bank loans, um, but you're... So that, that's, I suppose it's learning when to be ruthless about cutting back or, you know, things like that are, are the lessons of life that you learn. And I suppose the key lesson from, you know, from you having experienced all these different iterations of being in business is that there's always an opportunity. I like a project, you see. So, <laughs> so a, a, new, a new plan is, is always attractive to me. Okay, brilliant. Mm. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. And um Pleasure being spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I had to be the talking, didn't I? No, it was, it was great. Thank you very much. Okay. I hope, I hope it is inspiring to some people. I, I'm sure it will be. I mean, the story... Including the ladies. <laughs> including the ladies. The story has been... Um, it's an amazing journey you've taken us on. So thank you. And thanks to our partners, Intellect Books. And thank you for listening. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. <laughs>